So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. I want to give a really big thank you to Wild Earth Australia because I'm just so stoked to be a part of their team. Through them, I get to meet the most amazing adventurers because as a company, they are really supporting people that are just getting out there and giving life a really good crack. They're just such a good company that truly believes in the adventurous lifestyle. So a big thank you to them. Now, if you need any gear for your next adventure, running, hiking, camping, climbing, survival, you name it, there you have it. So go to the website, wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code, Diaries of the Wild Ones, all one word, capital letters. Free shipping Australia-wide, they even ship internationally. Hey guys, I have some really cool episodes coming up and that is because I'm currently tripping around North Queensland and meeting some really interesting people. I have to say this trip has been a huge learning curve for me, both spiritually and mentally, and I've been completely blown away by the nature and beauty of the North. Being the oldest rainforest on the planet and connecting with its raw beauty, not only did I fall in love with it, but it also broke my heart to see how much us as human beings have devastated and destroyed so much. And the more I connect and experience these amazing places, the more I want to protect them. You will understand what I mean when you go there. Now this trip took me to my uncle's amazing rainforest property on the Barren River in a little town called Coranda, which is up behind Cairns. We went into town the first day for lunch and he took me to a raw food cafe called Fruby's. I ordered a burger and a juice and was literally tripping on how good it was. Me being the curious guy I am, I had to know more. I was introduced to the owner, Nick, and quickly realized he is one intelligent, interesting cat. And we ended up in the deepest conversation. And Nick, I really have to thank you, mate, for the conversations we had throughout the week because they were so profound and you gave me a lot to think about. And I, I can honestly say some of the things you said, I really grew from it. Now, people like Nick really inspire me. I love people that just allow themselves to be them, to be the individual they are, to do what's best for them, and then to have the self-discipline to stick to it. It's so inspiring. It's so interesting, and this is what this podcast is all about, telling the stories of different people's journeys and how they became to be the amazing people they are today. So thank you so much, Nick, for sharing your journey with me, brother. Also, guys, inspired by the podcast that I did with my friend Bo, A Man, A Donkey in the Turkish Desert, I've been burying treasure on some of the adventures that I do. Now, I've drawn up some treasure maps, and you can PM me on my Instagram, Aaron underscore Shanks, and get the maps if anyone's going to be trekking up the Queensland coast. I highly recommend it because I've gone to some amazing places. Okay, guys, enjoy the podcast. So it's just a, it's just a way to connect, man. It's just so nice. It's an interesting um, experience. Have, there's a more immediacy to your voice in in my in my mind. Yeah. Because of this, for some reason. Well, what it does, it creates this space where just it's just you and I together. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's what was so nice about meditating with you first is because it's like a way to connect with you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And um, I really have to say, thank you for inviting us to this property. And, and the people listening are going to hear these birds in the background. They're going to hear the nature around us because we're in the we're in Coranda right now, backing onto what the rainforest down on the Barren River. And we're on this property. What is it? F Fairyland. Fairyland House. Yeah. It's a raw vegan life sanctuary retreat center. Life again, and so so. What's it about, man? Like, so the founder is a fellow called Zalan Glenn, 
and he is a long-time uh, raw food and vegan advocate. He ran a retreat center in uh, Victoria for about 25 years and then decided to move up here to the tropics. Uh, tropical and, North Queensland? Yeah, tropical fruits, tropical lifestyle uh, near the rainforest and he's been setting up this facility for about the last five, six years. You can hear the birds right now through the mic. Yeah, How nice amazing, is that? Yeah. yeah, and we just we just did some Wim Hof breathing. I'm actually quite buzzing. We all just had some nice hugs, gave each other love. I love it. But when I when I met you, dude, so I met you in front. Um, well, I met you in in Frubies, mm. your organic raw food shop or restaurant mm-hmm. in Coranda, and you just had this energy about you. And I looked at you, and I was like, "Whoa, this guy!" Like, I was so interested of how you came to be, and then we started talking. And Nick, you said you were from um, from Sydney, mm-hmm. and it kind of blew me out because you're like this kind of like hippie, free spirited guy. You know, you look way younger than what you actually are. You know, you've got this um, zest of life about you. And then I'm looking, and I'm thinking, how did you end up in Coranda and living like such a free, open, like connected to nature lifestyle when you grew up in Sydney? And I was like, just what's that? Would you would you mind like, like kind of even in a way starting from the start? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Aaron. I um, I guess it's a life of contrasts here on Earth, and the contrast for me was starting off in a very drab urban existence, living in suburban Sydney, uh, public school, shopping centres, uh, not much nature or spirituality, uh, pretty you know, humdrum, insular existence. Yeah. But I guess through that, it forged a yearning within my soul to break out of that and find out what the real meaning of life is. Did you did and you feel you did you feel for yourself? And like I've had this feeling before, and that's something why like I started traveling. It's just like this feeling of like there's got to be more to this. There's got to be more out there. Was that even though it's as cliche as it is, was that that feeling? Totally, I could feel the emptiness, the inherent emptiness of that existence. Yeah, and my soul was calling out for expression and to be felt, to be heard, to be known. Mm. And I feel like a lot of the influences in that type of lifestyle and that type of living a country or counter to experiencing one's soul or one's essence. Mm. So when there's a lot of stimulation, a lot of avoidance, a lot of distraction that we have in cities and um, the world in the conditioned world, then the soul gets neglected. And I think it's when we start to take those things out of our life and we start to connect to nature. We lighten the load on our body and mind, which is part of the, the dietary connection and the, the connection through fruit-based living, yeah. uh, that we start to experience something broader than our conditioned self. And, that, and that's what you are now. You're, you're, a, you're a fruitarian. I don't claim to be a fruitarian. I, I, when I eat food, it's predominantly fruit. So it's the majority of my diet, uh, but I do eat vegetables occasionally. Um, very sometimes I eat cooked food, not often, but I'm not one to advocate um, any particular ism because yeah. I think it's a it's such a personal journey for everyone, yeah. and we're all on different stages. So there's yeah. levels and steps to everyone's progression back to their awareness of their their essence, their yeah. soul, and to get there. It's or to to recognize that we all have steps and progression, so there's no judgment. Everyone's perfectly perfect where they are and with the experience they're having. So I I don't judge myself or put a label on myself. Yeah, 
because then I find I have an expectation and my lessons around that have been that it leads to devastation when you have too many expectations around who I am or what I am rather than just allowing who I am and what I am to reveal itself in the moment. Well, we we literally just had that conversation about conditional love and unconditional love and and where conditional love is like it's putting expectation on someone of who they should be for for you to allow yourself to love them. Exactly. And we're just talking about unconditional love, just letting go of that and just like literally loving people for who they are. And you, and, and you told me, you know, it, that awakening story you told me, you just told me you're in a nightclub when you're like 20 and you, and you had ecstasy and you, and you looked at everyone around you and just realized they were just exactly who they, they mm-hmm. are and you just loved them. Mm-hmm. Was that your first awakening moment or like? Yeah, so that was kind of a, an early experience and it wasn't until I was around 33 that I truly started to expand in my awareness of myself and others. And that was an interesting episode because that was actually when I became um, raw in, in my dietary practices. So I was leading a, um, a pretty normal life. I had moved in the direction of growing organic food. I had a permaculture garden that I had constructed in Perth. I lived in sort of um, inner suburban Perth. And I had become very ill in the preceding 10 years. My immune system was devastated uh, about seven, eight years prior to that when I'd taken about 15 vaccinations in two weeks on the advice of a travel doctor when I went uh, hiking in the Himalayas in India. And that was a precursor to a massive breakdown in my physical, mental, emotional health. And there are obviously other factors at play. I'd had a, a lifetime of eating a pretty general diet, meat, dairy, eggs, uh, processed foods. Um, I'd worked in the financial services sector, in investment analytics in Australia and London. And I was fairly programmed, I would say, in the, in the, in the mainstream humdrum kind of existence about consumerism and achieving and acquiring and getting so i guess all things i see as part of the ego construct just what you can get what you can get (laughs) did you did you ever like when you're saying like when you're younger and you had this yearning as you're doing this like working in this financial um institute and like and working in london and this consumerism and everything like did you were you starting to awake within yourself that it wasn't filling your soul kind of thing? Yeah, I was starting to feel the depression and the anxiety and the misery of that condition. So I'd bought into it hook, line and sinker earlier on in life thinking that money and objects and possessions and uh, fine dining and all of this would, would satisfy me. But it was increasingly demonstrating to me just how empty it was and I could feel the depression and, and the the alienation building within me and the anger and resentment because I was, a, I guess, a high achiever yeah. with a lot of expectation on myself to perform. And then I started, particularly within the work context, started finding myself totally disenchanted with it and starting to recognize that there was so much more outside of that construct. And I could feel the emptiness of a lot of the, the mindset of those around me as well. Like there was one pivotal moment with, with me. I was already moving in the direction of awakening to a a life outside of that existence and I was speaking to a fund manager at AMP where I was working at the time and he was expressing his deepest deepest frustration with the nature of the world being that he couldn't stand that there were transactions on financial sorry taxes on financial transactions and that was his 
you know, biggest grievance on the planet. Really? And at that moment, I, ju- really? I just looked at this guy and I just thought, that's so uh, uh, superficial when you can see, you know, the struggles that people are having on the planet. Yeah. And that's your greatest concern. Yeah. And then a, a tipping moment after that was after 9-11. I went into work that morning and, you know, the energy around was... was fear. Total fear, but all the fund managers were just panicking about their portfolios and the consequences about their financial security and no, no real concern for anything broader than that. And I'm not saying everyone in that sector is like that, but there's definitely that focus on money over. And that's the experience, that's the experience you had then. This is is telling your experience. It's like from what you witness and, and man, it's the same for me when I go work construction, it's just like the companies that we work for, you know what I mean? It is just about the dollar and this is the game that they're playing and what they do for the dollar and you see it and like, so, and it hurts my soul when I see it because, and people, everyone around me gets caught up in that, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. And so to, to see it for what it is and, and the thing is you're having these realizations, but you're acting on it. Mm. You're allowing yourself to see that it's not right or just not right for you mm. anyway and being like, oh, hang on a second. So, so. And that, that was a, that was a, uh, an exploration or a journey so the the i was exp- i was sharing with you earlier when i was 33 and i had that breakdown i was basically dying and i shifted to a raw vegan diet at the time uh predominantly fruit based was and was that on the advice of anyone or yeah, just, just try I, something different i'd been trying for years to heal digestive issues and immune related uh issues and i'd tried all kinds of diets uh, ketogenic diets, macrobiotic diets, vegetarian, um, high protein, uh, avoiding starch, sugar, anti-candida diets, and nothing had worked. And I met a guy called um, Durian Ryder. He's pretty famous in the in the raw vegan movement. And he was actually um, probably the healthiest person physically I'd ever met. He turned up at my door on his bike and he was glowing. And he basically came with a message saying, bro, Everyone's got it wrong. Fruit is your food. Fruit's the food for humans. Everything else is kind of a a, a lesser form of food. And, and I, I was like, oh, I'm not sure about that. I've been avoiding fruit. Everyone says to avoid fruit. It's got too much sugar. And But then I started looking at some of the, the research, and he introduced me to a book by a guy called Dr. Doug Graham, which is called The 80-10-10 Diet. It basically promotes a high fruit, uh, low fat, uh, raw plant-based diet and it was the most compelling book I'd ever read on diet I'd done a lot of research and this guy is very athletic he's been a, um, a sports trainer and nutritionist for most of his life he's a high-performing athlete himself so I started taking it seriously and I decided to trust that uh, advice and I started eating a lot of fruit and green smoothies at the time so greens and green leafy vegetables and fruits and at that time I was covered head to toe in eczema that was weeping and oozing every day I was going to the toilet once a week I'd I'd lost about 20 kilos in the previous 12 months and I was dying and within two weeks of shifting to eating fruits and leaves my skin had cleared up I was sleeping I was going to the toilet every day. I started having unity consciousness experiences where all thought content in my mind stopped 
and I could just feel and experience the unity of the universe and myself as one with everything. Well, why do you think that is? I'd okay. say that the chemistry of fruits and green leaves is uh, one which creates uh, alkalinity within the body. So all the agitation and inflammation starts to disappear. So as those liquids, the living liquids of the, uh, the fruits, the live foods and vegetables, they start washing away the acids in the body. And as the chemistry within the body changes from acid to alkaline, then the thoughts change. And as you be aware, we just did the Wim Hof breathing, which, which alkalizes the body. So the breath is the number one uh, food. You could say it alkalizes the body very rapidly. And when you do that, you notice that the thoughts become very silent and yeah. gentle. So, and so on, on a physical level, the fruits and vegetables play a similar role. So I was experiencing the shift from a highly acidic state into an alkaline state, which I think then allowed my, uh, my consciousness, my mind, to start experiencing the truth. And I believe that unity is the truth. We are all connected. We, we kind of know this intellectually, but then the, the question is how do you move from an intellectual understanding of an interconnected universe in which we're all a part of to an experience of that? Yeah. And I think through the breath and through a raw food diet that can dramatically change uh, your perception that was my experience I'd done yoga and meditation and therapy for years and never experienced anything like that except for the time that I'd once taken ecstasy but that I wouldn't promote that as a way of achieving that because it's not it's yeah. not healthy but then I just with a simple dietary change of eating fruits and leaves and being in nature all of a sudden I was having this kind of cosmic unity based experience which I'd been I guess yearning for and seeking for in my life and I was like wow I found the key. Yeah. There's a key here. And I saw a transformation in my body. Uh, I started absorbing sunlight and becoming tanned. I'd been a white pasty uh, English descendant my whole life that burned in two minutes. And within a few weeks of living that way, I started absorbing sun and tanning. And I was just blown away. I, I couldn't believe it. So dramatic changes. It was an incredible experience. Hook, line, and sink. And... I, I remember um, what disease can't grow in a acidic environment. I mean, in an alkaline okay. environment, eh? only mm. acidic. Yeah. So, whatever's going on in your body or whatever you've done, oh, that is so interesting. I know even with the Wim Hof breathing, I remember when I did it with Wim, Wim he, was, he was talking about um, we could, like, you can test your, your, your pee just before it and see how acidic it is mm -hmm. and do, do a breathing session and then just wee straight after and it'll be alkaline. And mm -hmm. I just found that so interesting, mm -hmm. you know? Okay, so 33 it was when you've had this. So have you, how did you, how did you realize to quit, to quit this financial sector? Or what was that change? Like, how did you change your life? That came in phases. So I actually left the financial services sector earlier on in my life when I'd only been in it for about three or four years and I'd already realized how soul-destroying it was. Yeah. And I left and went back to university, did a, an arts degree in languages and politics and art and traveled the world, became an English teacher, did disability support services, got into cooking. Uh, I'd always loved food and preparing food. So I sort of changed my whole structure of my existence um, and I'd been looking for alternatives and as I aged and I got closer to this 33 point, I had actually gone back into the financial services sector briefly because I needed to get some money. Yeah. But that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. 
that was where I fully kind of fell apart. And I guess, you know, you've got to fall apart to, to, um, You'd hit rock bottom to find yourself. Yeah. yeah exactly. And I definitely did at that point, you know, I lost my partner of four years. I completely lost my health. I couldn't work. I was bedridden. Um, I was miserable <laughs> and it all led to this 33, which is, I guess, you know, the Christ consciousness year, 33, um, massive awakening at that time that's how old i am right now yeah yeah so it's an interesting (laughs) you know there's no coincidences it's all kind of orchestrated in some way and at that point i i had that awakening and then i just dropped everything i shifted straight into a hundred percent raw vegan diet okay i was a chef at the time i gave away meat dairy eggs sugar coffee uh, processed foods cooked foods everything in about a week and all of a sudden, I was... At the time, were you thinking, I'll just give it a go and see how it, how it feels? Yeah, I didn't know because I, I just knew that I had to change. I knew my experience at the time was anything I ate, I was having immediate reactions to it. Yeah. Even to the... I got down to eating just steamed vegetables. And I thought, how can I... There's What's wrong with me? What's so wrong with me that I can't even eat steamed vegetables and feel a reaction? Yeah. And... When I'd met Harley and he said, well, you know, there's a reason because, well, you know, even I don't like to say cooked food is toxic or poison because I don't believe that's healthy. But I was certainly experiencing a degree of toxicity or poisoning even from cooked ve- cooked vegetables at that time. Yeah. And when I shifted to eating raw food, all of a sudden that immune response switched off. I wasn't getting that immune response and I started to heal. And I hadn't had an experience like that uh, that I was ever aware of. And for the previous 10 years, I'd just been getting sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker. Wow. So it was profound. Profound switch in um, my diet, which was very difficult from a mind perspective because I was heavily attached to my conditioned existence of eating, you know, muesli with yogurt and 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 stewed fruit for breakfast and chicken salad sandwiches and, you know, like... All the yummy stuff. But it's all yummy. Everything's everything's, <laughs> everything's yummy, yummy in the world. It all tastes yummy, but it yeah. doesn't necessarily feel good in your tummy. Yeah. And that's the thing. The difference between what tastes yummy and what feel good, feels good in your tummy is very, very different. Because, And this is the thing. Once you step out of the stimulation, and a lot of the foods that we're presented with in the world are highly stimulating. Yeah, They've got a lot of excitotoxins in them, the salts, the oils, the concentrated mm. um, additives. I think in the industry they call it craveability. Exactly. What's its craveability when they yeah, exactly. when they're making a food product or, you know, a muesli bar or anything they call it what's its craveability and that's normally just it's a disguise word for like its sugar content or how much how much is your body going to crave it and be addicted to it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because the the more you're addicted to that, the more you're going to buy it. Exactly. So it's like a it's a marketing technique. Yes. And that whole field of addiction and. Um, distortion from our natural peaceful state and the relationship that food plays in that is profound and I experienced that for myself and after that shift I spent the next 10 years exploring that traveling the world Uh, I spent the first two years mostly in Southeast Asia in Thailand and Malaysia and also in northern Queensland um, exploring the the tropical fruits and that lifestyle living on a bike doing yoga getting in the sun every day. Yeah, you went traveling. You went to find yourself. Yeah, you went man. on a pilgrimage. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And it was amazing. And I met so many amazing people. 
and I actually got very, I, I guess you'd call it extreme. I became very extreme in the approach and I really wanted to discover or find out if there was really the possibility of any, any Denic kind of existence on Earth. And so I ended up actually traveling to... Wait, say that word again. Edenic, like the Garden of Eden. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I had this idea that, you know, maybe we're meant to all be living in the tropics, eating tropical fruits, uh, naked in the sun, in nature, without technology, without yeah. distractions, and just enjoying life, not having to work and toil. And yeah. So I had all of these ideas and all these ideals, and I went off to Africa to try and create that or experience that. And why Africa? Because it's on the equator, so we were looking for somewhere where the land was um, equatorial, so that the climate was conducive to year-round living without um, the need for much in the way of shelter or clothing, yeah. where there would be access to year-round fruits, um, high, high rainfall, so a, a climate that was ideal for uh, human existence, as I, as I understood it at yeah. the time. And uh, I had understood that in our modern understanding of where we'd come from, that we'd all come from the Rift Valley in Kenya and Ethiopia and Africa, and that that was perhaps the origins of humanity on Earth at, at this stage, and that's yeah. been you know uh, demonstrated through DNA mappings. Whether that's real or not, I don't know. Yeah, but uh, it's still it's still just <laughs> it's still fun to just even if you, just to play that game and just yeah. be like you know what if that's the origin I'm going to go there and yeah. So so me and a couple of um, idealistic young fruitarians. Uh, set off to create a community over there and it was nothing like what I imagined so Kenya was devastated environmentally most of the forests had been torn down it was polluted um, well how, how'd you meet these guys uh, through Facebook interestingly enough. so what, what did the you internet. put just, did you just put out on Facebook like was it your idea or is it I'd, I'd had the idea circulating through my mind and so had other people and this one guy had put up a post saying he was looking for other people to join him in a quest to create a fruitarian community. And I was like, "Wow, I'm in. So I went and met him. I was in um, Europe at the time and I'd just been to the first fruitarian and pranic festival in Europe, in France. And I'd met an amazing group of people um, and I'd been cycling down through the Canal de Midi and it was the middle of summer in France and there were figs and grapes everywhere and I was just pretty much living predominantly on figs, yeah. um, sleeping outdoors, experiencing truly that sense of I don't need money, I don't need uh, much in the way of technology. I was like sleeping on grass in the evening, um, picking my food straight from the tree, uh, drinking water from streams, spending all day in nature. And I had a bike, so I wasn't walking. hadn't quite reached the full pilgrimage point, yeah. but I just living on my bike. And that message came out, and I was highly attracted to it. You know, coming from my existence, prior existence of living in cities and yeah. pollution and economic uh, necessity and greed and all of that stuff. And then I was seeing this. You're allowed this just to let yourself go. Yeah. It's so weird we're having this conversation because I ca I've been saying this the last kind of month that I'm just. I'm getting so close to just, I just want to let go. Mm. You know what I mean? I'm getting so close to, I just really want to do a trip where there is no agenda at all, no time frame. Now it could be a month, it could be years where I just want to leave, no money, just have my backpack 
with my um, sleeping mat or maybe a, maybe a little tent or something and just hitchhike, walk, skate, bike, yacht, like sail. I just, I reckon, I really think I can travel around the world with no money. You can. Because I've done heaps you of can. trips <laughs> where I haven't used money, like just by, like that, like yeah. picking through. Last year we... Um, I had no money. I was in Mexico and we'd ran out of money. It wasn't the fact that I'd run out of money. I just didn't go to the ATM. And then we went, we didn't realize there was not going to be any for the next six hour drive that we're doing, but we was, that was over the next two weeks where we're going to be surfing all these places and we weren't going to backtrack. We had no money for anything for fuel. Or, and so we just slept on the beach and started picking fruit. And it was just so fun because we made a game out of it. You know what I mean? It was just like such a raw adventure. And now I'm sitting here and like, you've done this and like you're telling me and it's like one of those things it's like that conversation we had the other day I was like wow I needed to hear that mm-hmm. you know what I mean okay 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 so yeah, sorry yeah. so it, it's so, it's definitely possible like that that idea of you know who doesn't want to live on the beach and drink coconuts and eat fruit and surf and swim and just play all day yeah like why not <laughs> <laughs> and the, the truth is we actually could do that and it wouldn't require much of a change um the biggest challenge though is just the mindset, the programming yeah. In, yeah. In, in the mind. And so we have all these false ideas about what our needs are. Mm. So we have, we've adopted, um, I, I would say it's a, a poisoned idea of life yeah. where we think you need all of these things in yeah. order for you to exist. Yeah. Whereas in truth, if you can recognize that, well, our needs aren't actually that great yeah. and they're actually mostly provided by nature if not completely. So the sunlight, the air, the water, the food, food yeah. from the trees, um, and with a much more sustainable and um, symbiotic relationship, yeah, we can exist. So that was my, my quest when I went to Africa to try and live in that way, you know, live near a river, have fruit trees around me with people that wanted to live that way. The challenges, though, that I found was that the... The, the thinking of the westernized economy and the, and the mind that had gone mad with technology had permeated Kenya as well. And even in the rural villages, people wanted their mobile phones and their technology. Really? And yeah, and they were farming. And the farming, and this is where I, I see the connection with food. It's, it's a big thing. Once we become slaves to a, uh, an agricultural paradigm that has a set of foods that aren't necessarily health-giving or life-giving, then we create a system where we're tilling the soil and cultivating animals as food, and we create a slave society out of that. We become slaves to those uh, plants and animals because we're enslaving them rather than living in, say, an edible forest where we're not a slave to it, we're just existing and eating fruits and moving around and so yeah. there's a there's a distinct difference there well that's and permaculture hey like yeah. letting, letting nature do the work for you exactly that's intelligence yeah <laughs> whereas the, the mind that's gone mad creates like these very linear um square kind of limited ideas of what the world is and you know you look at modern agriculture and, and monoculture farms and you look around australia you drive around it's just cleared land for miles and miles and miles with dairy and and great you know cattle for meat. All all the trees have been cut down. All these cows standing around, uh, and 
crops of sugarcane for miles and miles and miles. Yeah. You know, so the, these modern drugs, I see them as drugs, so the meat and dairy that people are consuming, it's, it's a drug. So and and why and why do you call them drugs? Well, this this thing about so say for example you look at um, dairy as as a food, it's highly highly addictive. It's probably one of the most addictive foods on the planet, and the reason for that in nature, any any um, mother with a with a weaning infant needs that child to be consuming that milk for its own survival. So it part of nature's um, intelligence it creates a dependency that child will need that food and there are substances in that that create huge physiological and um, biochemical responses in the body and there's a huge dopamine response yeah so as you know dopamine is one of the feel-good chemicals and they've shown like when humans consume dairy the dopamine receptors light up like a christmas tree yeah so it's similar to cocaine yeah (laughs) um and the the challenge with that is that nature is intelligent it creates milk specific to the species so a cow creates milk specific for a cow yeah just like a goat creates milk specific for a goat just like a human creates milk specific for a human and in nature all infants that are um, all mammals that consume milk do so for a period of time and then they stop drinking that milk and go on to eating their natural foods except for humans except for humans humans Mm. because they haven't grown up and they're still infantile <laughs> yeah. in their in their consciousness. Yeah. Look at animals like cows and think they're products to be used and consumed, not sentient beings with their own right to exist and have their own life. Mm. So humans started, you know, herding cows, taking their milk, taking their lives for food, and in the process became enslaved to that system of agriculture and to the food that they were consuming because it's so addictive. Do you know this um, this realization I had living on my property? So I live off grid down in Crescent Head, and I've got nature. I've got animals all around me, like natives, like kangaroos, wallabies, koalas, goannas, possums. They're just everywhere, right? And I remember when I first moved there, I was building my house, and in a way, I felt superior to the animals. You know, like, oh, this is my spot now. You guys need to go. And I remember one day, this Rue wasn't moving out of my way. And I was like, oh, you going to move, mate? I'm trying to water this plant. And he just wasn't, this kangaroo. And I was like, oh. And then I just kind of had this realization. I was like, he's not moving because this is his spot. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's sharing it with me, if anything. Like, I had this one, that, um, this one growl at me one day when I was building the garden. I've got this big bull that um, sleeps under one of the mandarin trees and he, and he loves it there. And he li- likes me hanging around, but then every so often he'll growl at me. And I was thinking about it. He's like, because he's thinking it's his space. And I was like, no, nah, this is my space. And then I was just like, had this realization. I was like, wait a second, why do I think this is my space? You know what I mean? Like I've got this like superiority th- like feeling. It's like oh, or something that I've been told to feel that you're a human, so you're mm-hmm. above nature and everything else. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, hang on a second. I live with them. They live with me. We're just here sharing it together. Now, you can go like, you can think as deep in this if as much as you want, but you can just even go lightly on it and just be like, it's more of a game when you share it. It's more fun when I share it. 
You know what I mean? It's more fun if I'm sharing it with the animals because I have them there and they become my friends and blah, blah. So you can go as deep as you want with it and you can really dive into that and that makes so much sense. But on the surface level, you know, if anyone's going to question that, but like, oh no, we are more intelligent than, than animals. It's like, well, at the same time, it's like it's so much fun to have those animals around and me to hang out with them and then to be my friends and me to respect them and then they respect me. And it's, and it's actually, it's so funny like how you become part of that with them you know what I mean they get so used to you you're just this being with them and it was this big realization that I had one day I was like wow it's like humans like we're just so obnoxious in the way we just come in and just be like mine now take animal get it you know what I mean yeah and it's just so brutal when you look at it from the other side and you're like holy shit and, and the thing is I've only experienced that and it'd be hard for other people to experience or even um to comprehend I just know that because of experience, because I live mm. like that now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and the sad thing is, is a lot of people don't get to even have anything like that experience because of the nature of the environment that they're living in. Yeah. So disconnected from nature. Yeah. You know, uh, concrete blocks, roads, uh, electronic prisons. Yeah. I was in Brisbane the other day in the city looking at the concrete ju- jungle and it's beautiful and I love it. For like three or four days, I couldn't live there, but I was just looking because it's so none, none of it makes sense to me. Mm. Like, whoa, okay, wait. So, I, w- I want to get back to Kenya because I really want to <laughs> yeah. know what it was like when you first arrived in Kenya. Like, because you had this dream, and I'm guessing like you had like um, you're on your way to like change the world kind of thing to mm-hmm. make, make a difference and do something meaningful, but then yeah. you arrive. Like, what was so my first experience? I arrived in Nairobi and I experienced uh, incredible levels of pollution. So the traffic and the smog coming from the cars, the buses, the just, and craziness, you know, just so populated and dense and poverty like I'd never seen. I'd, I had seen poverty like that in India, but lepers on the side of the streets and slums and just total, total alienation. Um, and I was like, in my mind, oh, Africa would be beautiful and sweeping savannas and plains and jungle. And, yeah. and, and you know, it was a big, dirty metropolis coming into Nairobi. And people, you know, and, and the standard thing of being a white person in a town and people trying to get money out of you and being conned and taken yeah. advantage of. And so there was that element going on. And we were just doing our best to get to somewhere natural where there wasn't this sort of invasive um, mentality. And it took quite a long time because we couldn't find anywhere <laughs> so how were you looking did was that the plan just to get to kenya because it was on the equator yeah so we, was... we'd had a um we wanted to get up to the rift valley and we ended up getting buses and we had you know a few areas in kenya that we wanted to explore that you'd done prior research prior on? research on yeah yeah uh and when we arrived we we managed to get to some of these areas but we we were hounded um the, we actually even had a, an instance where the, the Kenyan police turned up. We um, were staying on a farm and we were trying to find land in that, around that area. And the, the people were staying with very simple people, farmers, um, mud brick homes. And within about two weeks of being there, we had the Kenyan police turn up. We had about five four-wheel drives turn up and they took us into a room uh, started interrogating us and wanted to know why we were there, what we were doing, and they demanded our passports. And at which point, I 
became I, I'd read and heard about uh, that the authorities if they take your passport you're in a very vulnerable situation yes. and then they bribe you to try and get it back yes and I was adamant at this point I'm saying you're not taking my passport um, I refuse to give it to you um, what, why did they what did they think that did they just see you guys do you think they just saw you as white guys they didn't take advantage of or did I they? don't think they they didn't really know who and what we were because we were very we were all fruitarians uh, walking around with you know no shirts on and torn shorts and we weren't the typical western tourists so they thought you guys might have been like some cult coming to yeah I, I just don't think they knew what to make of us and the locals didn't really know what to make of us because they were they were simple farming people and you know they had their cows and their um, their fields of, of beans and corn and uh, chickens and eggs and pigs and they were living their lives and we were there kind of saying well we don't really want to live like this we're looking to create a different kind of existence and we want to we only eat fruits and uh, we want to be in nature and we don't want to farm this way and so everyone sort of found us a bit weird. Yeah, uh, a lot of the a lot of the Kenyans though loved us because of the the idea that th- there's a deep spirituality in Kenya. Uh, a lot of the people are very very connected to the earth because they're on the earth all day. And when we started talking about just eating fruits and living in nature, a lot of them were like, "That's great, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we like that." But we've got these systems set up. Yeah, we're, we're we're farmers and we grow beans and corn and we raise chickens. And so they liked the idea, but they weren't prepared for it. And anyway, the, the, the police that came that day, I'm not exactly sure why they were there and what they wanted. I suspect they wanted money and they were trying to um, push us into a situation where we would be able to buy back our passports and things like that. But uh, it, You would have been so scared. Very scared. But I was able to just hold my own in that situation and we, they, they let us go. Um, in that sense, they they didn't take our passports and they, they left. Frustrated that you wouldn't give. Yeah, the, because I stood up for myself basically, yeah. and I was adamant that I wouldn't uh, provide them with what they wanted, uh, even when they were threatening us in a room and they were, said they were going to take us down to the police station and put us in the cars and lock us up. And I was saying, well, no, you know. So, yeah. for the grace of God, I guess it was that that passed. Uh, but the, the 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 challenge was going into there isn't coming with that um those sort of ideas in a world where even in the rural areas they're farmers you know living a uh, a farmer's life based on uh grains beans and animal products yeah so the whole fruitarian or vegan idea was not really well understood so that's a challenge in the world at large because that's what i see a lot of the world has been the modern world that we see is built on the idea that we need animal products in order to live. Yeah. We need grain products in order to live. Certain things, you know, bread, milk, these basic things that are considered the most basic needs for humans, bread and milk, and I see them both as possibly two of the worst foods that humans can eat. Let's go a bit deeper into this for a second. So you're saying... Because we had a conversation earlier about breatharians, which people mm-hmm. that don't eat at all, and, and you've, you've hung around with quite um, quite a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, like, this is this general thing of what we need, we need, we need. And I, I know, like, I, I like to challenge myself and do these challenges. 
where I strip myself of everything and I have to like do things for myself, like out of nature, you know, like just, just survival pretty much. And one thing, that's one thing that always, always teaches me is the construct in my mind of the things that I think I need. You know what I mean? Whether mm-hmm. if it comes to food for the day or whether if it comes to like a comfy place to sleep or if it comes to like being cold for the night or if it just like, just these things. I, even in the smallest version, I remember the first time backpacking around the world. My sister called me because my parents were, or my sister emailed me, said, hey, mom and dad are renovating the house. They're renovating your bedroom. You've got all this shit in there. What do you need? And I was like, oh, and she started telling me what's there. I was like, yep, yeah, I need this, I need that, I need this, I need that. And the next thing, I remember I was sitting there and I was like looking at my backpack that I'd had for a year and a half and I'm living out of this backpack and everything I needed was in that bag that went on my back. Everything, and I just realized all this other shit didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And I just called my sister, I was like, okay, just whatever, just throw anything out, like nothing, none of it matters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I had this like thing in my head that I needed it. And then I'd just gotten used to, I was just as happy, if not I was a more happy you know what I mean? And I've even found now in my life when I get too much crap, it's like to throw it all out and get back to, it's like, I'm always, I always find it's like this balance where I was like, I start losing myself a bit and then I just want to come back to the simplicity, simple lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the simplicity of salvation. I guess you could yeah. call it that you don't need anything mm. like what you think you need. So when the illusion of needs, I'm a big fan of um, A Course in Miracles. It's a, it's a great teaching. Uh, it's a great book to look at for exposing the the false teachings of the ego and yeah. the mind that drives, um, the kind of thinking that drives humanity mad in this constant pleasure-seeking gratification, more, 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 more complex. Yeah. Because once you realize that you don't actually need those things and that when you try and pursue them, you create a system of slavery for yourself. Yeah. You can just step back and go, well, I'm actually quite content just sitting here on the grass. Yeah. I'm really happy just being who I am, where I am right now. Yeah. I don't need anything. Most of us get itchy feet like we have to. And that's what our phones do. Even I notice it yeah. myself. I've got to look at my phone and I've got to... It's like it's got, offering something, right? Yeah. There's something that's going to come through on that messenger yeah. in, in the next five seconds that's going to change my life. Yeah, just Maybe it. someone will connect with me. Oh, this opportunity. and mm. So the promise of technology, but it's a false promise. Yeah. And what I hate now is because I, I... Well, down on my, my, my property, I, I don't have much reception, so I can't get back to people, and I love it, so I leave my phone. And even like last night, I was like, I left my phone um, all yesterday, and then last night I got back and had all these messages and like then you don't have time because I'm here I'm hanging out with my uncle and hanging out with you guys and then suddenly I have to message people back and then I don't and people get so frustrated and angry and I've actually had and people that I really love they it's like this different type of connection we have now it's like instant connection and shallow connection Mm -hmm. and I've had a couple of conversations with loved ones like friends in the past couple of months about like me not living up to their expectation of me as a friend. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. Every time I'm with you, we have an amazing time and I'm there. They're love, like loving you and everything, but I just don't, you know, like, I, yeah, it's like, cause they're like, oh, you just disappear. And I'm like, well, I don't have, like, it's just, I don't know. It's this shallow connection of just being like, oh, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then the need, like, where if I have time to, I definitely will because I want to connect with that person. But I find it so weird that this is how we connect now, just shallow connection, like just text or whatever. And I'm like, I just, I'd rather wait to have the space and time to be able to either have a 
genuine long conversation on the phone or be able to like come and meet you and hang out and like have this rather than this surface level connection yeah exactly would you would you mind um talking about breath terry we'll go back to kenya in a second breatharian breatharian we'll go back to kenya in a second um sorry we're jumping a little bit but it's just so interesting so yeah, yeah there's a lot of a lot of topics that i know kind of interweave around these issues yeah so. and we're, we're talking about what we need and what we think we need and one thing i find so interesting is really hard for me to get my head around is the fact of even needing um food or water mm-hmm. and, and you yourself has, have experienced not needing it mm-hmm. and you yourself um have hung around and been around a lot of people and you're just telling me a guy that you'll hang around with that hasn't had water or food for seven years or like yeah, yeah. What's so, the, the... so I guess there's uh, th- this is very confronting for most people, and even for myself when I first heard of these ideas, um, I was very uh, opposed to them, and I thought it's impossible. You know, there's no way you can live without food or water. We need food. We need water. Need you know? Yeah. Um, so that there were definitely strong beliefs that I had around needs. And as we've been exploring, once you start looking at the needs that you think you have, they're not necessarily real. And the belief that we need food and water, uh, it's a strong belief. And whilst it's held within the mind, then, of course, because of the power of belief, you need it. Yeah. But if you could have an experience that showed you that you don't need it to the degree that you think you do, it changes, which is what people experience when they just say, fast for a day. You know, everyone said, oh, I need to have my coffee or I need to have breakfast. But if you say, well, why don't you just try just, just drinking water for a day, just for one day and see how you feel. Yeah. And you'll pass through the day and you'll go through different spells of hunger and headaches as your body's healing and detoxing. And, but you'll, you'll discover very quickly that you didn't need anything that day. Yeah, that you didn't, and you didn't die. <laughs> you didn't die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can go a day without food. Yeah. And not only that, you'll probably feel a lot better for it. You'll be clearer in your mind and your body's had a good rest, your digestion's had a rest, and you know the benefits of fasting are proven and documented, um, and you can start to experience that on a daily basis. Then if you wanted to explore that further, you could do two days without food, mm. three days without food, uh, just drink water. So this is you know, standard water fasting. You can go into periods of either short or long-term water fasting. There are clinics around the world that supervise people doing this, and miraculous healings often take place when people do this and it's a proven way to to heal many um, chronic ailments that are otherwise untreatable and the interesting thing there is that the the intelligence of nature and the body is showing that it has inherent within it the tools to heal itself which is completely in opposition to every single message you're going to get from the so-called authorities on health which is you need a drug or an intervention or a therapy or surgery or you know any any myriad of list of treating symptoms of a diseased uh, body mind whereas the body mind if left alone and let all the thoughts let them go (laughs) all those thoughts go and let all the practices that surround those thoughts like i have to do this i need to do that which is what fasting is, instead of indulging in those compulsive thoughts and activities and behaviors, you just step back and say, well, just for a little while, I'm just going to be. Yeah. I'm just going to be still. I'm just going to let my body rest. 
and let my thoughts go. And I'm going to rest. And wow, the body starts healing. How amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did this three-day fast at Christmas time. And it actually started because I had a toothache. And I had mm-hmm. to go to the dentist. And they did something to my tooth or whatever. And I couldn't eat. And then I was like, oh, I'm just, just going to just stop eating. I remember I did three days. And the first 24 hours, a bit, a bit sore. I had a bit cramps and headaches and stuff. And then for 48 hours, I just felt great. And then the third day, um, it was just weird. Because I assumed... And I've had I've done fast before where I've had no energy, but it was weird because the three days in I had heaps of energy and I went surfing and I was running around like an idiot, and I didn't feel like eating. And I was like, I just remember I was like, where the fuck am I getting this energy from? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was I was actually surfing with my mate Kirsty, and she was tripping out on it because I was like running around like an idiot and we'll, we'll yeah. I was just like, I don't, but I felt great. Yeah, there you go. And that, and that's you know, direct uh, yeah. proof for you of the nature of energy. So we know, uh, intellectually at least, that energy's everywhere, right? Yeah. And it, like, energy is um, inherent in and around everything. Yeah. So we're living in a, you could say, a, an ocean of energy. And once that's actually understood and you can tap into that, energy field you have available to you we have available to us an infinite supply of energy remember i told you the other day i said like this breatharian thing like people not eating or drinking and i remember watching a documentary on some monks in india and then creating a glucose syrup under their their gum that their body was feeding off Mm, and then you were telling me it was coming from the gonads originally yeah but that's the so the system as, as i understand it is that the 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 body becomes like a tree it photosynthesizes so through light. Yeah. Uh, and that's actually, that documentary I was, that was scientific studies done on this guy. And then he's like, whoa, he's photosynthesizing. Yeah. So that seems to be the um, the, the common account of people that move in that uh, direction towards pranic living, that they recognize and experience that the body is actually self-sustaining and it produces its own liquids, its own foods, once the external stimulation is taken away. So the body then adapts yeah. Like all things in nature, it adapts to its environment. So the body has the potential to adapt to a food-free existence. And some might even say that that's actually the, the inherent design of a human body. And there's a lot of you know biblical references to things like that. You know, he who believes in me will never hunger or thirst. So this idea that you are sustained by the love of God is another um, expression of that. The idea that you don't have any needs. They're all met. Yeah, and that's an interesting idea, uh, and I I don't I'm not uh, I don't claim to not eat because I certainly still do eat. Uh, I have friends that don't, and they experience a level of clarity and health that is amazing. Um, yeah, I was going to say, what do these people look like? Like just did, did they are they skin and bone, or like no, they no, just... no, it varies. So if there's numerous examples of it. I guess. There's a lot that um, don't go on social media because they're not interested in it. But those that do, a uh, prime example is probably Ella Tom Elamin. I was sharing with you, he's a, he's a fellow from the States um, that has been practicing a pranic lifestyle for many years now. He looks like an Adonis. He does a regular Qigong uh, meditation practice which and physical activity, which keeps his body very, very healthy and strong. Um, 
there are others that do similar things. So it, it really varies. I think the thing that defines that the body really is more how you use it. So use it or lose it is, is the yeah. expression. So if you're using the body in a physical way and keeping it healthy and strong by being out in nature and in sunlight and doing the practices and keeping your mind clear and free from fear and you're expressing your inherent nature, which is love, yeah. then that's what's really going to sustain you. You know, we talked about love. Yeah. It, really, at, at the core of all this, love is the answer. And when I say love, I don't mean human love. I mean universal love or uh, divine love, if you want to call it that, an expression of infinite intelligence that can manifest through us because we are divine beings. And when we understand that, we can experience that energy yeah. that energy of love and it sustains us so those people that are living that way are experiencing that to a greater degree we all experience it anyway you know we all eat less than we we spend more time not eating than we do eating yeah and we're being sustained in those times and often people say oh yeah but you're living off the food you ate before and to some degree at some level but i could also say that well, maybe you're not living off those foods. Maybe those foods are degrading your body, all yeah. the energy and time and effort that you, especially the foods that we eat these days. Yeah. So, and that's where the food connection is really important. So the progression for people that want to, um, I guess, lighten their load is often they, you know, they move from say a, a meat um, and dairy based modern diet to a vegetarian diet. Then they move from a vegetarian diet to a vegan diet then they move from a vegan diet to a raw vegan diet and then if they want to go further down the rabbit hole to a liquidarian diet and then to just water and have have you been a breatharian before uh no not for any i'm i, I practice daily intermittent fasting and i've done extended water fasts i've done a 21 day water fast a 12 day water fast a 9 day water fast various short fasts i Daily, uh, don't consume anything from about six in the evening till about one in the next day. So about eighteen hours of fasting every day. Yeah. Um, I've done periods on with no water as well. Three days, four days, five days. Yeah. So I've experimented, but I've never gone for extended periods of time without food. Um, uh, I do have to say that you guys all look so young. And when you spoke about this the other day, I was like, and you're like, oh, yeah. It's because I was like, oh, you look 33. And I was like, and you're like, well, 33 is when I started this diet. Yeah. You know, that, I was like, you look you look my age. Yeah, so. and I feel your age. And that's the thing. It, it feels like, I don't think we're meant to age and die the way we do. I think we're meant to live for a very long time. And we're meant to experience, kind of, you know, an amazing ecstatic state all of the time. But we can only do that when we're actually experiencing that energy and in order for us to experience that energy we need to lighten the load of our you know our, our i guess our thoughts and our emotions yeah and also the the, the food because the denser the food and the more negative the energy of that food is that we put into our body it, it blocks us up clogs yeah. us up so you know who doesn't suffer from digestive issues uh, in this modern world most people you meet have some form of digestive pain discomfort yeah. and manifestation of disease because there's blockages being formed in the colon because of the dense, sticky foods that people are eating. And this is part of why I created Frubies as a way of um, sharing with the world a way of eating that is way more beneficial for the body and for the environment that allows 
it's food that's 100% plant-based. Most of it's raw. Uh, it's mostly organic. Uh, it's combined in a way that is appropriate for digestion. Yeah. So it allows food to move through the body and through the colon and to be assimilated without creating blockages. So we, we don't use oil. We don't use sugar. Uh, we use minimal amounts of salt uh, because it dehydrates the body. Uh, and it's very high fiber, high water content, high frequency food. Mm -hmm. So this is energizing the body rather than depleting it and clogging it. Yeah. And when the body is energized and clear and things are moving through it, then the energies that are around us can move through us more readily. And as I was saying, ultimately that the prime energy is love. So the clearer we are, the more love we can channel through us and we become a channel of love yeah. and light, intelligence, the intelligence of the universe. So to open up the body to become um, a, a receiver and transmitter, which is, you know, we're electromagnetic beings, we're energetic beings, there's a switch in consciousness there to move from the physical imprinting that says I'm a body and that I'm dependent on physical mechanical forces around me to know I'm an electrical being, I'm an energetic being, and I'm sustained by energetic principles. Yeah. Then you can become, you could become like a, a hybrid. What's the Toyota hybrid car called? Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the um, Prius. Yeah, so you could say we're, we're mostly more like that. We, we've got an energetic um, source of nourishment. Yeah. And, you know, just lie in the sun for five minutes. Notice how... Oh, man, I'm... S it's ridiculous how much energy I get from the sun. Amazing. When it's overcast, yeah. like I, I get headaches and like I'm tired, I can't think straight. And as soon as it's sun, it's like it's like I'm on a sugar rush. I'm just running around like an idiot. And everyone knows that about me. Totally. But it's um. And that's the thing, bro. If you ground, so you, oh, look you at know, birds. Yeah. barefoot on the earth, you're connecting to the energy of the earth in the sun, getting sunlight, energy from the sun, and breathing like we just did before. The amount of uh, and the measured transformation in the, in the chemistry of the body and the way you feel, the experience of that is profound. Yeah. So we've got those all those energetic sources of nourishment and we can take physical nourishment as well. Just the, the, the idea that I try and share with people at Fruby's is when we choose to take the physical nourishment, let's take physical nourishment that's actually going to nourish the body rather than deplete it. Yeah. And so fresh fruits and vegetables in their natural form, as close to their natural form as possible without being deranged and without being full of chemicals, they're going to really be the, the energizing foods. And then when we eat denser foods, let's do so with lots, you know, we, we, we um, do burgers and wraps and salads at Fruby's and we incorporate some cooked foods, but very simple cooked foods. So we use sweet potato and pumpkin and potatoes as the basically the cooked foods in our salads and wraps. And we stay pretty... And how do you cook them? Just roast them with no oil. Just straight up, yeah. Yeah, so oil-free. We do oil-free chips, organic Dutch cream potato chips. We do... I was eating them, they're great. Well, I've had lunch <laughs> there the last two days because it was so good. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, so, and, and the burger that you ate, it's actually a fully raw burger. So it's a mixture of vegetables and seeds that we combine and then dehydrate. And anyone that's a raw fooder can come in and have a, a raw burger with a raw patty raw sauces, raw ingredients, and even a raw bread. And for everyone else, we um, just lightly grill that burger on a sandwich press without any oil and serve it on the on a 
handmade organic wood-fired spelt sourdough that a friend of mine makes. So it's much more digestible than usual wheat-based wheat -based processed bread. Um, but all the rest of that ingredients, that burger, the salad, the lettuce, the tomato, the sauces, they're all raw. So you're getting about 75% raw food with a little bit of cooked food, which is actually very helpful for digestion. Nice. So you're not just getting this big stodge of fried, oily burger meat patty on processed bread with processed sauces full of sugar and oil and salt with chips that have been deep mm. fried in oil. And you will notice the difference. And, we, and I was telling you, because the day I flew up here, I bought a Carl's Jr. burger yeah. and ate it on the plane with some chips. And then I just fell asleep for two hours and felt so bloated and so crap. And I was like, oh, why do I do that? And we we all have this experience. And then, and like I said, like when I said it, you said, oh, try, try my burger. You'll feel great after it. And I went back yesterday and got it again because mm -hmm. it was the exact thing. Hey, before we get get to into freebies, I just want to jump back to Kenya for a second. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, so we're, I, we're, we're time traveling here. Yeah, yeah, we're time traveling. I love it, but <laughs> also listeners love it, you know, because it's yeah. like you just allow the conversation to 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 go. But I I really want to know how this journey happened in 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 Kenya, because after the cops got you and everything, and then how did that journey go? Like, did you find the, the in paradise? The, no, and that was the thing. In the end. It's, it was very apparent to me that we needed to create a paradise because a lot of the natural environment had been destroyed. I think Kenya is one of the most deforested planet, um, countries on the planet. So there's very uh, little remaining in the way of natural um, or uh, pristine environment. And because of the, the, I guess, the cultural identities and, and the practices around farming, it was very hard to find people that really resonated with the ideas that we were sharing there were some but not many and the there wasn't enough basically um i would say support for yeah. our project and in the end because of you know this is the other problem visa issues being able to stay in the country without um i didn't have a, a visa that allowed me to stay beyond the, the time that i was staying yeah. so then you have the problem of being an illegal uh um Immigrant. Immigrant yeah. or whatever you want to call it. So we live in a world of borders and yeah. passports and identities. So I happen to have been born in Australia and have a, a so-called Australian identity. Um, so I, in the end, I had to come back to Australia. Was that was that like heartbreaking, the fact that you just went there on a mission, you just went there to do something different, to start something, and it just didn't... Not, not did really. Did you just enjoy just, the journey that you had? The, the, I think everything happens for a reason, and I yeah. felt... You know, and I, I suffered a lot. I got very unwell in Kenya and um, because of the conditions that I was in and the influences that were around me. And, yeah, there was a... I won't go into that in great de detail, but basically coming back to Australia and having been through what I've been through, it led me to this idea that I wasn't going to find my paradise in isolation from the world. And that there was no, re there's nowhere really on the world I could go where I'd find this paradise and this utopia, you know, yeah. yeah. And perhaps the role that has been given me or that I've chosen is to help to try and shift the world closer towards something like that through sharing with the world some of the ideas and um, of the benefits of eating a plant-based diet that's predominantly raw and organic, and providing a mainstream. Um, uh, business that 
does that. So is it truly does that in a way that um, people can come and experience truly life-giving food that's made with love, mm -hmm. with plants, and they can taste uh, food for the first time maybe for a lot of people that's real, that hasn't been made in a, um, in a factory somewhere. And they can taste the, the tropical fruits that are mature and ripe and full of sweetness and full of flavor in smoothies that haven't had milk and sugar and powders added to them. So they're actually genuinely tasting uh, the real deal for the first oh, time. How good is that dragon fire smoothie you guys do? Yeah. So um, so, is, so is that how you ended up back up in North Queensland? Yeah. So you came back from Kenya? Yep. And came here and and did you what did you just say to yourself? Like, I'm just going to start a juice bar. No, I spent many years um, trying to recover my health because I had a lot of health issues from my previous lifestyle and also from the, that time over in Kenya. Um, I damaged my organs a lot and I spent a lot of time in recovery, especially up here where I live now. And then after when I felt I had the strength, I really wanted to share this i felt driven to create um a cafe juice bar um that basically does what it does um provides food that is attractive that people can uh recognize from their you know mm. from their usual foods that they're partaking in but done in a very different way did you have money at the start like had you saved I money little, to I had start a little bit um what i did is I, I arrived in Cranda and I knew I wanted to do something in the centre of Cranda and Cranda is a very touristed town, very um, uh, expensive rents in the main market area and I was looking, there was a cafe for sale, it was a pie shop and the owner at the time wanted $120,000 for this um, pie shop and the rent on that space was $62,000 a year. Holy crap. And... I, I knew I wanted to be in that area. But it's more I, than a thousand bucks a week. Yeah, and I I hadn't I didn't want anything to do with a pie shop. It was very you know, uh, in my in my opinion, very unhealthy food, and I didn't want the business. But the location was great, and I was looking at this space and thinking, well, I can't afford that anyway. And what options are available to me? And just behind the pie shop was a, a little indoor market area with market stalls, and I noticed that there was two tables um, or sorry one wooden table free in a space and I spoke to a lady that was there selling knitted um, her own knitted moccasins and I said are these spaces for rent she said yeah, yeah I rent this one and that one's available I said really I said how much are they oh 145 a week and I was like okay who, who manages it oh the real estate agent down there so I went spoke to them and said would I be able to rent that table in the market stall and sell fruit there yeah, yeah, that should be okay. So I rented the table and I just started bringing in fruit. Mangosteens, uh, dragon fruits, mangoes, pineapples, bananas. Just bringing in boxes of fruit because I noticed that the food around was terrible. It was like burgers, um, hot dogs, milkshakes, deep fried chips, uh, donuts. And everyone was walking around with junk food and I thought, you know, we're in... A tropical paradise up here and everyone's you know all these tourists are coming here for an experience of the rainforest and they're you know eating german sausages and meat pies and with you know and uh, you know i, I my, my neighbors do what they do but they're serving up kangaroo 
crocodile, emu, lamb, chicken. So Australia's like iconic animals chopped up and served up in a pastry. And that's yeah. what international tourists get to come and have an experience of eating a chopped up animal. Yeah. That's not an experience. That, well, it isn't, it's an experience, but it's not experiencing Australia in its natural way. It's taking the nature of Australia and killing it and putting it into people's bodies in a form that's probably going to kill them. And I was like, I don't want to see this. I want to create an alternative. So I'm providing tropical fruits uh, in a way that people can come and experience that and feel healthy and nourished so i started doing that in that space and then i was like well, what was the reaction like Were well you- at first it was just selling a few pieces of fruit there was nothing you know yeah. i wasn't doing anything in particular but then i said oh, well, i want to actually do a cafe so i asked if i could put in a juice bar in that space and the real estate i put, submitted a design and they said yeah that's okay you can do that so i constructed a juice bar which is what you've seen the the freebies juice bar and Where'd you then, come up with the name? Just Fruibies? Just fruit? Uh, it's a play on words. So F-R-U-I from fruit. Yeah. Because it's a fruit-based juice bar. Yeah. So fruit being the, 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 the most um, dominant food on the menu. Um, and the idea of the freedom of being, as I shared with you earlier, that feeling of just being yourself, just being in nature, and how I first started to experience that freedom of being when I started eating a fruit-based diet and being in nature. Yeah. So I became a fruby. <laughs> yeah, a fruby. <laughs> In a way, I, yeah. I, I was frubified. So, and I've noticed that that just by giving people food that is, you know, like fruit-based, high vibration, high high frequency food, it has a profound effect on their um, their thinking and their feeling. And so, frubies is a way of offering that experience through food to people that can just, whether they're conscious of it or not or aware of it or not, they're having a micro experience of that. Yeah. Because, it, it, you know, it's, say they, someone sees our juice bar and they come in and they have that dragonfire smoothie or that green goddess smoothie or that tropical blast smoothie that's all fresh local organic fruits without all the other additives in it. Maybe the first time in their life they've had a pure fruit smoothie. And I watch them and most people, they put it in their mouth and they're like, oh, their body jolts. It's like a charge. And, yeah. and they they often just say, wow, I've never had a smoothie like that. That's incredible. What is that? It's that nice that yesterday I was drinking it and I was drinking it too fast. I was like, oh, I want to savor this. So I ran to the car and my burger was there. I wanted to eat it. I ran to the car, got my bottle of water and came back and I started sculling water. So I wasn't thirsty. So I could just enjoy that smoothie because it's, it's, it was so nice. So yeah, so you started doing smoothies there. Yes. And then what just did that well? It, it kind of you... grew from there. So at first we, um, we didn't even have plumbing in the space. We had a, a wheelie bin full of water with a pump. And we would pump that through a sink to wash our blenders. And, and then the, he- the, the food inspector said, well, that's actually not good enough. We need you to do proper plumbing. So then I started, you know, it, there was a lot of commitment issues for me at the time because it was money and yeah. I wasn't sure if it was going to work. And, but I, I just had faith. So I just started, yeah, I went down the route. I got full plumbing, uh, full commercial kitchen licensing, went through all the steps and stages to get Fruby's up and running as a proper juice bar and it just kind of grew step by step by step and after two years of doing that we'd become really popular and well known and um people were coming uh with you know with a reputation of having the best smoothies in coranda and 
um, people from down south coming off. Friends, uh, friends of ours came and they told us if we ever come to Cranny, we've got to go to Fruby's and get a smoothie, most amazing smoothies. Um, and then two years into that, a shop front next door to us that used to be a clothing store that had street frontage um, went um, went bust. And the shop came available for lease. And, you know, they're expensive leases. And I was like, I'm interested, but I'm, I'm, I'm very cautious as well because I don't want to get involved in a, you know, a, an expensive long-term lease if it's not going to be viable. But something in my intuition was saying, no, it's going to work, just do it. So I took a shop front and expanded into that, which pushed us out onto the street, gave us street exposure and gave us an opportunity to create a far greater um, variety of foods. So we expanded our menu a lot and introduced some of the these foods, these salads and wraps and burgers. and um, So that created that opportunity for that expression and it's been worthwhile because we've had so many people coming through and experiencing the 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 foods and the smoothies and the fruits and the the, the environment and yeah. it's been so gratifying so many people will eat our food and come up and say i feel so amazing after eating that i normally feel heavy after yeah. eating say a burger but i feel really light i feel totally satisfied but i feel light and yeah. That's that's really the key difference. Is like trying to um, allow giving people an experience where they can notice just how different they feel from eating particular things. And you know, you can go out and you can get a burger from Hungry Jack's. You know, Hungry Jack's has a vegan burger now. I, yeah. I hear, but it, it's pretty much Frankenstein food. You know, it's made in a lab and it's got modified wheat gluten and textured vegetable protein and oil and additives and preservatives and it's served on a standard white flour processed bun with sauces with you know lots of components in that make it very very difficult for the body to digest and leave you in a food coma you know you shared with me your food coma experience from eating a a normal burger no one's going to experience a food coma from eating one of the Fruby's burgers yeah they're going to feel nourished and uh healthy and people will come up even you know the most skeptical person that loves their meat burger when i've had conversations with them and say look why don't you just try our burger they come in they try it and they absolutely love it and they make the comment that's a really tasty burger and i actually feel really good from eating it yeah so it's a couple of things here right what i okay i i'm trying to think of a restaurant that i know of that has so much passion and love in it and something that where they're really just trying to help other people you know what I mean? That's something you're 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 doing and you're creating. Now, another thing that that you said before is like giving that uh, someone that experience. You gave me such a nice experience eating your food and being in your restaurant and and like seeing what you guys are about. That I asked if I could do a podcast with you because I was mm-hmm. so because it's just I because I believe in it so much. Just okay, looking at your energy, tasting your food, like it's just, you know, that's why we're sitting right here. I was like, I want to know more about this. I want to connect with this with this person. And then second of all, that was the first day I met you and we ate at your restaurant. And then it was that good. I had to go back yesterday and we had lunch there again yesterday. And I'm hoping actually we do it today. We that, might even go there today after yeah, this interview, hey? <laughs> yeah, that burger is so good. So then what's next, but like... Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, there's been a lot of people requesting uh, for Frubies to open in other locations uh, around Australia uh, and down in Cairns. So that's something that's on um, my mind. 
and I'm looking at opportunities and possibilities for expansion um, and whether we can take Frubies into other locations. And, and as you've just been recognising, it's not necessarily like a normal business because we definitely are not motivated by um, economic um, greed. What we're motivated by is sharing a message and sharing uh, a way of being yeah. through um, yeah, healthy plant-based eating and living closer to nature. So Frubies is really an extension of my lifestyle and I'm trying to share that with the world and I'm, and I'm doing what I can to make it economically sustainable, which it has to be. Um, and so I'm looking at ways that I can uh, spread Frubies, but given that it's, it's very labor-intensive Frubies because we're sourcing all of our food locally. It's all fresh. We're making everything from scratch. We don't use things from jars and tins and processed foods. So we're not like other establishments that can just receive a delivery of you know frozen packaged food and then just serve it up. Yeah. We're there earlier than everyone else. We're there later than everyone else. There's a lot of inputs and it requires a lot of my personal time and I don't pay myself for the time that I work there um, and I haven't for three years. So if I can translate that into another environment where someone, the manager could be paid and it could be sustainable and um, then it, it's, it's achievable. And I'm also looking at um, setting up a facility to manufacture our burger patties and our yeah. falafel patties and our wraps um, and to distribute those and sell them through health food stores and um, other cafes around the country. So that's, there's definitely... The, there's the, avenues, yeah. There's avenues there, so it's just about um, exploring them and seeing, uh, testing the waters, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I really want to see it. I really want to see it hit the moon. But I also find interesting how like we had the, this conversation because you are doing it from love. And you are doing it from passion. And we had this conversation. It's the same as this podcast. I do it for my own connection and my own experience in life. And I just share it. And as soon as I go down the rabbit hole of doing it for other people or doing it too much, I kind of lose myself in it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, no, no, I don't bring it back to just me. And it's the same with that with you with business right now. You're in this really nice space where you're seeing it like help people and change and and grow. And, and it's, I, I found it really nice that you're aware of it that you're aware of like having a balance in it and like you said like not being too economically viable like just doing it at, to keep your passion you want to find the way to keep your passion but be able to reach more people mm -hmm. and I think that's like that's where a lot of you see it you always see it I remember like this um and I was a kid this bakery opened up down the road in Palm Beach where I grew up on the Gold Coast and it was the best bakery in town it was cheap and it was so good. And I was eating there all the time. Then after like a year or two, you know, everything went up like 20 or 40 cents. And then it started getting not as good. And then a year later, and then, you know, it's like they started off and they had this passion and everything. And then five years later, it was just crap because they were just like, oh, where can we make some more money here? Where we can, yep. you know, and, and then, and without judging them, that's probably what they needed to do to, for that business to survive. So I don't know, but it was just. Um, well, that's the, it seems to be the general challenge within business that, you know, there, there's pressure for you to cut corners and make compromises in order to make it more sustainable. Yeah. And the whole nature of business, as is generally taught, maximize profit, reduce costs, maximize efficiencies. It's very much money-centered. Yeah. And when you're a heart-centered being and you're coming from a space of love and you're trying to share your gifts with the world through a commercial enterprise, 
it's not necessarily um, as easy as as and and but I'm 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 actually I wouldn't even say the usual model is easy because the it's not easy. You know, th- there's compromises, and every time you compromise, your soul suffers. You suffer. Yeah. So when you sell, you know, selling your soul, when you start making those compromises, people feel it. So as your experience with with that with that bakery, so if they started making compromises based on economics that they felt compelled to do because of the environment they're operating in at the expense of the quality of their food and the quality of their feeling then it starts to be you know it permeates the entire um, enterprise so the challenge for us at Fruby's is can we maintain our um, integrity and our um, authenticity and still make it in a commercial world, and that's that's a challenge because it's like you know it's like the, the the lamb in the lion's den. Yeah, you're playing, playing in 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 in, in, a, in an ocean of big fish, right? And the, the the business world in the past has traditionally been dog eat dog and competition, whereas my perspective of the world, it's not competition that breeds success; it's cooperation. And this is the thing, like you recognised earlier on when you were sitting in nature that. It's actually sharing that space with all the other animals around you that creates the joy. Yeah. That's what joyful living is, shared co-creation with all of nature. And I would like to bring that into the business world, the shared co-creation that's harmonic with nature. So we're, we're a zero-waste cafe. We don't use um, plastics. We um, compost all of our waste. Uh, we have biodegradable packaging. Uh, for our smoothie cups and and wrapping etc um, th- the idea is we're, we're trying to work with nature and the gifts that nature gives us to offer them to the people in a way that creates the least amount of uh, waste product yeah. and basically to operate in a way that people uh, that work there are sustained they're, they're given um, fair compensation for their time and that the operation can continue but we don't want to sacrifice through uh, making compromises by, say, using starting using processed, um, chemically processed foods oh, yeah. or animal products. Or, there's a definite um, foundational, real. real philosophy and understanding that drives rubies. If that can continue in that way, then and I hope it can. I hope mm. it can be a demonstration of what's possible, uh, and looking beyond profit margins to. You know, it's like Bhutan, that they measure gross national happiness rather than GDP. And this is the shift that's needed. It's like we need to recognize that it's happiness and joy that are the true goals of life. Well, that's success. Is it, that is it, success. It's yeah. funny. It's like, yeah, how do you measure success? And like, for me, it's like how happy I am. Exactly. Because <laughs> nothing else matters. And it's just like, and I find that funny. It was funny. I was talking, my mum was talking to me the other night about um you know she was basically talking to me about finding a wife and i was like mum i want to live off grid like you know i've got my off grid property i'm like i want to live this simplicity like this simple nature like just this simple life and i was like i don't want to work <laughs> you know what i mean it's just like <laughs> and, it's, and it's not lazy because i work so hard and and but i not i don't want to work in that sense as in like I want to work, spend hours of my time on my property and like building things for myself or doing things. It's like, I don't, I don't want to go and just work and make money just for the sake of like, you know, it just doesn't. And I was saying like, this doesn't, it's hard for the general population now to understand that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Everyone's telling me you got to go away to work and like, 
fuck, I've done eight weeks worth of work in two years. <laughs> and I'm still having a great time, you know That's what I mean? Funny. And it's like, and I'm like, how am I going to support a wife and a family? <laughs> no, I, I know how I'm going to because I'm doing that, you know, like I've got my property, I'm growing food. But I was saying to mum, it's like, it's a really, in that situation, I need to find someone that's so like-minded mm-hmm. for that security Mm-hmm. Because their level of security right now of like what society is telling them is that need. You need this, you need that. You need to be making so much money a year to be successful. You know what I mean? And, and for me, it's like me being successful is going to be love and happiness. Absolutely. And I'm going to go down that path. And it's like I was telling mum, it's like it's so hard right now because right now we're conditional. We're told this other story of to be successful. And it's like and she, my mum's telling me to find a wife. And I'm like, well, show me a girl that's like, that thinks like that, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, well, there's deep programming there, bro. And th- thanks for sharing that. That's um, it's a, it's a, a very important message. You know that success is is happiness. Yeah. And happiness is now. Yeah. It's not a future goal. So the idea that often pervades a lot of people's thinking is that, oh, I'll just work now so that I can be happy later. Yeah. That I'll I'll somehow reach this point where I've accumulated enough wealth or succeeded enough to be good enough to have some time to enjoy myself yeah which is it's like the you know the the horse chasing the carrot yeah it it, it just never comes it never ca- it never comes because it's not now <laughs> yeah i remember was it ellen watts talking he said um you know like you know we're we're at school and we're like oh when we get to high school we'll, we would have made it we we'll be there we, we've made it to where we want to go then then you get to high school and you 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 the lower and you you know everyone's older than you and you're like oh well when i get to university i would have made it and then you go to university and you you do four years and you do do your degree and then you start in the workforce and you start from the bottom again and you're like oh well when i get there i'm gonna i'm gonna make it i'll be successful and then i think it's alan what's he saying you know then you work for 15 years you um work your way up through the company and you finally hit CEO and you've got the nice new car and you've got a house and you're sitting there at your desk and you're sitting there and you suddenly have this realisation that, well, you're here and nothing's changed, <laughs> you know? It's just like, you know, like because you, you're trying to get there and, and that's where that midlife crisis comes from, where people have midlife crises, you know, around like 40 years old or 50 years old because they've worked so hard for something and then they get there and they realise like, oh, shit. I could have just been enjoying myself the whole time because life is now. It's what's happening. Exactly. What I really like about you and your vision, and I was thinking about this when you are saying this before, it's like the, the saying, be the change you want to see in the world. You know what I mean? And you're doing that and you're, and, you're, and you're not sacrificing to do that. You know what I mean? You're coming from love. You're actually... I, I, feel, I feel sad in a way that I don't know too many people doing it through love and passion like how you are and it's like you know you and you, you feel that when you do go to a restaurant you feel that when you buy clothes off someone you know like a sustainable hemp clothing company that are just doing it for purely the love of it you know you're like whoa it, it, you feel better in yourself because you know you're helping you're helping something mm-hmm. you know what i mean you're helping a movement you're helping a passion you you know yeah. and that's what happiness is we're here yeah. to be harmless and helpful i yeah. believe so I'm trying to be as harmless as I can in what I'm offering the world and as helpful as I can in what I'm offering. Yeah. And the feeling for me when I'm at Fruby's and, and making these offerings and they're being received and the feedback, it's, it's priceless. 
Yeah. That, to, th- th- there's no, I don't need monetary reward for that. The reward is in the giving. Yeah. Giving is receiving. And that's the, that's the law of the universe. That's the truth that, you know, as you know, as you give, you receive. Yeah. And the, the mind state that's opposite to that is you've got to get in order to receive. And that's the whole idea of, you know, economic, the future about, well, I, I, if I do this, then I'll get that. Yeah. And it, it's, it's the payoff that never comes. Yeah. And even if it does, it's, it's never satisfying. So it's only here and now, bro. Yeah. yeah. And so. I had this girl, I had some friends staying down at mine or friends of friends down at my place. And there was this one girl, um, they were from Sydney, from a different world, uh, very wealthy people. And I'm like in the bush off grid, you know, and, and I've been building my house just from, from what I have in it. And, and it's, it's magical. And I was taking them around. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this over here. The TP goes over here. You know, the bathroom is building over here. I'm going to put a carport over here one day. And this girl, got, and she's like kind of frowning, you know, and then she's like, well, when are you actually going to do it? And I was like, well, a year ago, there was no house standing there. You know what I mean? She's like, yeah, well, you don't have, like, when are you going to do it? And I was like, I don't know when I do it. It's just like, I, I just looked at her and I was like, you got to have a vision. Yeah. And you got to have the journey. And it's about enjoying the journey. I don't want it just to happen. Exactly. I didn't want to just click my fingers in this house just to be here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, I get to build my own convenience. Other people just buy it and that works for them. Just buy a house. It's all done. But right now I'm doing this because what I want to do is connect with it. I want to create it for myself. I don't want it just to be done. You know what I mean? But I've got to have a vision. I've got to have, okay, the bathroom's going to go here and then I'm going to enjoy building it. And that's going to be a whole thing. And she, and she, I think, I think I kind of, in a way, I think, I think I made her feel bad, <laughs> not meaning to, but because she came at me as with such a judgment because she'd never seen that before. You know, she'd come, her world is like, you know, you just, you, there's money and you, and you just do it and, and anything. It's like, you're looking down upon if, if you don't, you know, and she hadn't seen the other side of the coin with someone being like, Oh, I want to enjoy this journey and, and go through it. And then, you know, and that's the feeling of successfulness in myself to be mm. successful, you know? And like, she was like, you know, I don't know. It was, it was just this, it, it was something that really made me think a lot. And, and, and cause it helped me see from her side as well. I'm like, Oh, and, and also reaffirm what I wanted in my life. You know what I mean? And that's enjoying that journey. Yep. You know what I mean? As soon as I also get too caught up in building and everything too, it's that balance in everything. I, I, I give it up and I go surfing for a few days and I'm like, as soon as I'm not having fun with it, I'm like, ooh, I'm out of balance, tools down, let's go surf, you know? Everything in balance. Yeah. All right, man. Freebies. Coranda. Main Street of Coranda. Look out for freebies if anyone's coming in Coranda. Just keep, just look out for the name in general because have a feeling that it's something that it's one of those things that all comes down to where you want to find your balance in it. The ingredients is there to go to the moon, but it's all wherever you wherever you want to find your own balance in it because it's a great idea, dude. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. for, for this um, time, bro. It's been amazing. Yeah, dude, you're freaking amazing. I love you, Nick. <laughs> I love you too, man. <laughs> How's I met you and I like, uh, gave you a hug and I told you straight off. I was like, I love you, man. <laughs> of course, man. <laughs> Got just, great just energy. A, just a mirror. Yeah, great energy, dude. Yeah, you too. All right, yeah. thanks so much, man. We'll put um, is Fruby's got a website? Yeah, www.fruby's.com. All right, now do you do socials with it? Do you do Instagram? Instagram, yeah, check us out on Instagram and Facebook. Um, we're on both. Is and it just Fruby's? Yeah, Fruby's. F-R-U-I-B-I-E-S. Uh, check it out the food. While well, I'm going, I'm going to eat there again today. Yeah. <laughs>
Me too. <laughs> All right, thanks, Hayes, bro. Thanks for having us in Fairyland. It's actually it's amazing. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, bro. All Thanks, right. Brother. So if you like this episode, please feel free to share it and leave a rating. And if you have or know of anyone with a wild story, please get in contact with me through my Instagram, Aaron underscore Shanks, or the website, diariesofthewildones.com, because I'd love to sit down over a beer or a coffee and hear it. Yeah, I do it like a double.